The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. October 21st, 2022, it is 3 p.m. North American Eastern Time, 4 p.m. in the beautiful Canadian Maritimes, 4.30 p.m. in Newfoundland, 8 p.m. in Dublin and London, 9 p.m. Paris and Berlin, 10 p.m. Kiev and Moscow, 10.30 p.m. in Tehran for all you Newfoundlanders who moved to Iran for the half-hour time zone, midnight in Islamabad. Midnight 45 in Kathmandu for all you Iranians who moved to Nepal to check out the quarter-hour time zone. 3 a.m. in Singapore and Honkers, 6 a.m. in Melbourne and Sydney, 8 a.m. on a Saturday morning in Auckland. And an even more convivial hour for the Kippers and Kedgeri beyond. Today is the first anniversary of the fatal shooting by Alec Baldwin of Helena Hutchins, the director of photography on his film Rust. Uh, Mrs. Hutchins' family subsequently sued Mr. Baldwin and others involved with the picture. Last month, they settled for an undisclosed sum and a credit for Helena's widower, uh, Matthew Hutchins, as executive producer of the film, which now is now back on... Uh, on a revised production uh, schedule. If you're wondering what kind of a name Halina is, it's Ukrainian. These are not normal times. Uh, The leader of the free world is an obviously enfeebled man who cannot find his way off a stage by himself and just wanders around in circles, looking baffled as the band plays Hail to the Chief over and over. Uh, The next in line to succeed him, the alleged deputy leader of the free world, is a woman who does not know whether or not uh, Ukraine is a member of NATO and, uh, and reveals her ignorance all over the map all the time. We now have a situation in the United Kingdom uh, which is similar to that. It's not the same, but it's similar in that we do not know who the people are who are running the United States. There are speculations, uh, obviously, but that's all they are. They're speculations because there is no functioning constitutional order in the United States. Someone has decided effectively that uh, Joe Biden will be imposed on the nation, even though he is not up to the job. So that means that someone else is doing the job. We don't know why they did that. We don't know why that's the arrangement they came to. Um, But executive authority is not where it's supposed to be located in America. And the same situation 
similar situation is now prevailing in the United Kingdom. Uh, the members of the Conservative Party had the temerity to vote for the wrong person. Uh, Rishi Sunak picked a fight with Boris Johnson because the plan was that Rishi would displace Boris. Uh, and that would have suited the IMF and uh, the World Economic Forum and all these other guys. Unfortunately, the members had the temerity to find Rishi totally unappealing, as in many respects he is, and so voted for someone they found marginally less unappealing, though she too is uh, near totally unappealing, Liz Truss. And when she tried to do something that for the first time since Boris Johnson passed his nominal Brexit, when she tried to do the first remotely conservative thing this government has done in many years, the IMF stepped in and removed her to the approval of Joe Biden and the German Chancellor and others. So we are not in normal times. And that goes not just in the United States, in the United Kingdom, and in Canada, where a minority government supposedly imposed the War Measures Act. They renamed it the Emergency Measures Act, but the War Measures Act is an important, is a, is a more honest name because that's really what it's supposed to be used for. And so we had an, and they, and if it's called the War Measures Act, it's hard actually to impose it over some Canadian truckers coming to town and double parking or whatever offences they will eventually be found guilty of. So we do not have normal times, and yet we have the media, uh, both in North America and in Europe, uh, reporting all this as if it is normal. Uh, current events in the United States, in Canada, in the United Kingdom, and many other Western nations are not in the least bit normal. And it is perplexing to me uh, that we pretend that uh, we are. And with that, let's get to your questions. Uh, and we have one from uh, Heike, who writes, Hi, Mark. I've been a member since 2021. What took you so long, Heike? The first four years were the best. Uh, we're running on fumes now. You, you should have been here earlier. Anyway, Heike continues, Why do you think the media pundits in the Tory leadership issue focus on the personalities of the candidates and not on the candidates' positions on the issues like illegal aliens? They're not immigrants, says Heike, and that's quite true. They are illegal aliens, actually invaders. Uh, on the issues like illegal in, uh, aliens, why to continue to support NATO? The only object of NATO is to conduct war, not to advance peace. Man-made climate change, demographics, and so on and so forth. Thanks. Well, the obvious answer is this, Heike. You're not going to get any change. I mean, I can't stand these people. I can't I, I can barely stomach any of these so-called characters. When you say the personalities of the candidates, most of the personalities are sociopathic uh, and the others are just dullards. But the um, so just to go through the issues you name, illegal aliens, right? That that is a that is a defining issue. I said if the Tor the Tories are going to lose. They're down right now. The UK Tories are going to lose. They're down to 14%. That's lower. 
Um, Theresa May in uh, what do we, I'm trying to work this out now. Uh, three and a half years ago, early 2019, was down. Her party was down to 17 percent just before it got wiped out in the European elections, driven to its worst result in nearly 400 years, depending on how you want to uh, run these comparisons. And uh, and Mrs. May won. Uh, the Tories right now are three points below that. They're down from 17 to 14%, which is the lowest, lowest they've ever been. You know, uh, the way to save that would actually be to get serious on this nightly invasion and the pathetic sight. Don't, by the way, don't give money to the Royal National Lifeboat Institution. It's been a great nonpartisan charity. Uh, so nonpartisan, in fact, that it operates, uh, that, as you'll know if you follow the 100 Years Ago show, we're marking the centenary of the Irish Free State and the division of the British Isles into two jurisdictions. And that uh, the, the Royal National Lifeboat Institution was one of relatively few institutions uh, to continue to operate throughout the British Isles after that uh, secession by our uh, Irish friends. And, uh, and, and the RNLI, which has had a terrific reputation, is now basically going into French, calm French waters. It's not rescuing anyone in trouble. It's just providing a taxi service. It's taken aside. And if that's not your side, if you don't want a thousand strapping young Mohammedans landing on the beach and moving into a stately home and having afternoon tea uh, Darjeeling and thinly cut cucumber sandwiches every day. Then, then don't give money to the RNLI. They've they basically abused your goodwill. But here we are. I'm just going to go through the issues you've mentioned because they're the same in many other uh, other parts uh, of the Western world. Many. And uh, and the whole point uh, about the positions you say like. Uh, issues like illegal aliens. They're not going to do anything. Vote Rishi, vote Boris, vote Penny Morden. Not one of them is going to do a single solitary buggering thing about the nightly invasion. Uh, it's too, Boris, you know, Boris hasn't got the, uh, hasn't got the focus for dealing with that. Rishi doesn't want to deal with it. He's just a globalist stooge. Uh, Penny Mordaunt is in favor of it. Uh, then you go on to the other thing. Why continue to support NATO? Uh, well, one thing that doesn't change, it's permanent, it may even be in the Constitution now, is that whoever gets elected uh, leader of the Tory party and emerges as prime minister has to keep giving billions that uh, the country hasn't got to Zelensky. What Zelensky does with it, I don't know. But as I point out uh, again and again, uh, Joe Biden has given Zelensky more money in the first seven months of the war than the annual budget of the entire Russian military. You you look at that. Russia has a budget of, uh, I think it's $66 billion. Um, and in the first seven months, Joe Biden gave Zelensky something like $70 billion. Nobody knows what that money's going on. No, well, we in part know it was partly paid, uh, went to assassinating that guy's daughter on the streets of Moscow. 
uh, it may uh, well have gone uh, to other escalatory points of the war, but we just don't know what it is. Uh, then the second biggest donor is the United Kingdom, which is a completely, I mean, America is the brokest entity in the history of brokenness, but the United Kingdom is doing a pretty good uh, catch-up job right now. And so the IMF yanked uh, the rug out from Liz Truss because they didn't think her tax cuts were prudent. Her tax cuts, if you take the most pessimistic view of them, would have cost the nation far less than what it's actually uh, giving to Ukraine right now. But the IMF has no problem with that. So then uh, what's, your, what's your next point here, Heike? Uh, then you have man-made climate change. No, none of them has the guts to do anything about net zero. Demographics, none of them has the honesty to confront the demographic transformation of the United Kingdom and so on and so forth. So there's no point focusing on the candidate positions on the nightly immigrant invaders on the southern shore, uh, on man-made climate change, on uh, the demographic transformation of the United Kingdom, because none of them are going to do a thing about it. So, oh, I, I like Penny uh, Mordaunt. She's an appealingly uh, uh, full-bodied uh, woman of a certain age who has a certain uh, cocksure, seductive quality when she stands at the dispatch box. Um, but on the other hand, if you, if uh, Rishi is uh, rather appealing as a non-threatening uh, person of minority extraction, a uh, bit short perhaps, but uh, you know that some of these uh, Hindu fellows, that's not such a bad thing. And then Boris, he's just like a big, pasty, white, old, fat git. Uh, these are the only these are the only things you can talk about because on uh, yes there's yes there's things like uh, Rishi is more obviously the globalist stooge and Boris is more obviously a uh, a debauched uh, I mean every Johnson every Johnson family member is a revolting little liar my advice to anyone uh, speaking from personal experience of uh, dealings with more than one member of that family. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of you, Stanley Johnson, Johnson Pear, if you're wondering, you little lying dweeb. Um, where was I? I'm getting carried away. Uh, anyway, I've got no, uh, I, I would have nothing to do with any of them. We've tried, he's, he's had his turn and it was a disaster. And he's not disciplined enough to change who he is because he's always been like this. You can ask Toby Young. He was pulling this sort of crap 40 years ago. So uh, uh, so uh, there's nothing to talk about. If you, if you care about, say, as I do, things like grooming gangs or vaccine victims or the migrant tide on the southern shore, none of these asses are going to do a thing about it. So only their non-personality personalities, their sociopathic personalities, Penny Mordaunt's very weird book with its strangely detailed passage on the after effects of a full English breakfast, uh, Rishi uh, Sunak uh, having a billionaire uh, father-in-law who's all cozy with China. Uh, Boris, uh, Boris being, uh, well, as I said, of nothing to do, you know, 
what day is it today? Friday. Yeah, my last contact with the Johnson family was just uh, 24 hours ago. And uh, I thought they might have learned their lesson, but the little twerp was lying uh, and uh, deceiving and unprincipled and amoral all over again. So up yours. Uh, Simon Arnold says, what is the point of electing a new leader if they keep removing them? They did it to May, Boris, then Truss. Now they want Boris or Rishi back, a vicious circle of ongoing chaos. They're heading for something really bad. People don't, you know, if you recall, and assuming for the moment that U.S. election results are not totally dishonest, but if you recall, the Joe Biden pitch was that, uh, oh, um, uh, we've had enough of chaos, all the mean tweets. You look at the Trump presidency and the chaos compared to this idiocy in London every 24 hours. I'm so bored. I'm I'm getting totally bored and it's probably, probably showing on air because they're not worth talking about. This is the world's crappiest soap opera. Um, Penns Woods says... Uh, Mark, it shocks me that the birthplace of self-governance, democracy, individual rights. Well, I wouldn't call England the birthplace of uh, democracy, uh, but it has certainly spread it to a lot of other countries. You know, there's dozens of uh, territories around the world that operate systems based on Britons. And if you're looking at where Britons has ended up, you'd, you'd be pretty anxious to dump it and try anything else. Um, the birthplace of self-governance, democracy, individual rights has followed so quickly and closely to its third world friend, the U.S., on the road to oblivion. Having joined the EU many years ago, did Britain in many respects lose its own ability for self-governance, its heritage in making its own way in this world by looking to the EU for its leadership. The apparent political chaos in Britain seems to be getting worse and worse. It's unbelievable the mess that has been created. Boris again, 70 million people, and that's the best Britain has to offer. This isn't self-governance, but something else moving toward collapse or transition to some other form of British societal order. A massive, complete reorder of Britain. I always viewed the UK as a civilised, mostly thoughtful society. Not so much anymore. What comes after civilised society? How about a lottery for ten for citizens and the winner gets a try at 10 Downing Street? I better get to the UK while it still stands. Um, no, people change. Here's what the European Union did to Britain 50 years or thereabouts in the European uh, community, whatever it was called, the common market back when they started, is... It uh, created a class of people uh, whose aspirations lay elsewhere. So Europe offers, you know, politics is a racket for most people. There are ambitious people who go into politics because they want to get to the top of the greasy pole, as Disraeli put it. They want to get to the top and be president in uh, the United States or be prime minister. Uh, If you are not headed to the top, then the options are on their face unappealing. Because clearly, if you are a backbench member of parliament or you are a congressman, you're on what is nominally a very small 
um, salary by the comparisons of a lot of your friends who are doing well in business and all the other things. So one of the few things you can do is actually sell yourself. And the people that you sell yourself to today are people like the World Economic Forum guys and various lobbies, the big tech lobbies. I note a certain senator is in trouble in Utah. He's uh, quite an impressive senator on certain issues. But then he goes all quiet if you ever start talking about big tech. Uh, and that is, uh, that is the problem with the system. When you have a system of when you have small government, as government was in the United States uh, until a century ago or thereabouts, and likewise in most other countries, then you know uh, there aren't there aren't the the bigger government gets the more opportunities for graft, and that's changed the nature of uh, people. Uh, Jimmy G from Niagara on the Lake, beautiful Niagara on the Lake. I uh, I <laughs> I stayed there during the off nights uh, when I was uh, on the Dennis Miller tour with Dennis uh, around Pennsylvania and Western New York a couple of years ago, and I stayed at the Prince of Wales Hotel in Niagara on the Lake, and it's such a lovely. T I like it because if we can play a round of Know Your Ensigns, the ensign that Niagara on the Lake flies, which they only adopted, I think. Uh, a decade ago or some such, but it's the pre-1801 uh, Union flag in the top left-hand quadrant, so it doesn't have the Saltire of St. Patrick. It's just the, the uh, Cross of St. George and the Saltire of St. Andrew. That's one thing I really like about Niagara. Well, no, there's lots of things I like about Niagara-on-the-Lake. It's quite a good pie shop, uh, as I recall that. Anyway, Jimmy G, what am I talking about? Uh, I will say, <laughs> in the War of 1812, the Yanks burnt the whole of Niagara-on-the-Lake down. Niagara-on-the-Lake looks fantastic these days. And if you were just standing at Niagara and you're like uh, looking over to Buffalo, you would assume that, in fact, it was the American side that had got burnt to the ground. But um, that's, uh, that's just me. Anyway, Jimmy G says, so the head of cabbage wins. This is in reference to the Daily Star uh, competition, uh, tabloid journalism at its final. They ran a live stream of a... Uh, a head of, I think, an iceberg lettuce, actually, Jimmy, uh, an iceberg lettuce and, a, and Liz Truss, and they wanted to know who would last the longest, and uh, Liz Truss was out while the iceberg lettuce was still in the glow of good health. Can you elaborate a bit on British Tory politics and do inject your opinions? Bojo comes in with a mandate. Shepherds Brexit somewhat, but not much else. You say currently there is not much daylight between the Tories and the Keir Starmer Labour Party, but in the next breath you opine if Fishy Rishi or Jeremy Hunt somehow get elected Prime Minister, there will be a mass exodus from the Tory party, a la Kim Campbell and the Progressive Conservative Party of Canada era. Is there truly a dichotomous left and right wing within the Conservative Tory party? Well, I'm not sure I've actually said if Rishi or Jeremy Hunt become prime minister, there'll be a mass exodus. I would like there to be a mass exodus. I think the thing about the 1993 catastrophic Canadian Tory defeat is that, uh, is that at the very least you got a new party out of it. 
The Mulroney coalition was fairly incoherent in terms of philosophy, and Mulroney could hold it together, but Kim Campbell couldn't. Um, And so the thing, uh, what was left of the Tory party got reduced to two seats, in part because there was the Reform Party in the West and the Bloc Québécois in Quebec. Uh, And and so uh, the Reform Party uh, did a tremendous job in the 1990s, keeping certain issues in play and keeping the Liberal Party on their toes far better than the squish Tories of Kim Campbell and co. would have done. So um, I, would, I am in favor of a new party. I am in favor of a new party. I don't think you can... The idea that you're going to elect a leader and force him to act conservatively is not a runner here. Simply because, you know, and this, this isn't particularly political. It goes back to that idiot Cameron, the twerp, modish twerp, who decided that what mattered was that there should be more gay candidates, more Muslima candidates, uh, more transgender Tory candidates. So what happened as a result of prioritizing identity politics in the candidate selection process is that you wound up with a bunch of MPs who are, uh, are very disconnected from the actual members of the party. And Brexit should have told them what happens uh, when, when that gets past breaking point, because that's what did it. The members are, I'm exaggerating, but not much, but the broad disposition of the member, the members of the House is Tory uh, Euro Remainers, same in the House of Lords. The membership on the ground are largely Brexit, Brexit, Brexit. So that fool Cameron created this, the, the, the members do not represent uh, their voters in that respect. Um, and, it, and it's way beyond left or right now. The thing is, it's such an incoherent coalition. None of these hacks and media, when you say, oh, that's uh, OK, we've got to get rid of Boris. Let's find someone else. Uh, oh, uh, OK, well, well, look, we've got this, all these talented people. Let's go for Liz Truss. Oh, God, no, Liz. She's been in office a fortnight and she sucks. Let's get rid of, we've got a party so brimming with talent. Let's uh, bring back Boris. This is a joke, a worthless party that believes in nothing. Uh, I would love to drive a stake through it and kill it instantly, like in the vampire movies. You drive the stake in and the body, the, 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 uh, the, 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 the guy in black tie, the lounge lizard, uh, just crumbles to dust and there is no more vampire. Uh, and it's going to be, it won't work out like that. It won't work out like that. You're going to kill this party off and it'll rise from the dead as soon as sunsets. But we should at least start the process of, uh, of killing it off. Um, Mark, do you see any parallels, asks Richard Langworth, in the uh, UK parties exactly 100 years ago. The Liberals never governed again. Went so, well, I made this point to 
Uh, Dr. Starkey, I think it was on Monday's show. If you follow the 100 Years Ago show, as I said to David, uh, when Lloyd George, it, they, it was all very familiar. You know, there was a big meeting at the Carlton Club and uh, the Tories decided they couldn't support the coalition government any more. And uh, Lloyd George went to the palace to tender his resignation to the king. And as he left the palace, as I put it to David Starkey, he had no idea that he was going to be the last ever liberal prime minister. These things happen. What's different? What's different is that the Britain of 100 years ago was a serious place. Um, the coalition split because of the humiliation, as the Tory members saw it, of Britain uh, during the uh, messy uh, clear-up of the Greco-Turkish War, when the Dominions, specifically uh, Canada and Australia and South Africa, had asserted themselves and declined to support a, uh, a British military, exp an expeditionary force, uh, in the Dardanelles. And it was felt by the Tories that Britain had been humiliated on the world stage. Well, a hundred years later, Britain has been humiliated on the world stage again by the IMF saying, uh-huh, no, 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 mistrust. We pick the prime ministers and we pick the policies. So that's a huge come down uh, after a century. Uh, we're not all going to have Liz Trust questions. Johnny B says, uh, hi, Mark, couple of quickies. Would there have been a coup against Liz Truss if Her Majesty was still alive? I think they wouldn't have dared. Secondly, seeing the shock horror following the election of Georgia Maloney with such statesmen as Joe Biden declaring her a threat to democracy. Will there be a similar reaction in due course? I can't, I can't read this without that because Johnny... <laughs> Finally, did you know that Bob Dylan did the song to the tune of Red Sails in the Sunset? He's done that with several tunes and he doesn't improve them, is my view. Uh, Red Sails in the Sunset is a uh, is a, a lovely song. And while we're talking of things Irish by uh, Jimmy Kennedy, Ulsterman, born and bred and a lovely fellow. Uh, what, what were you talking? Oh, Sinn Féin. Yeah, I actually I was uh, talking with an Irish chappy uh, last night and I was saying I thought it was hilarious the way Sinn Féin markets itself completely differently north and south of the border. And north of the border, if you're like in West Belfast, Sinn Féin is an old irredentist nationalist party. It's, it's uh, you, you know, it's all about the wearing of the green. It's uh, all about the uh, ancient uh, Irish Catholic nationalist grievances. Then I was, in, I, last election in uh in Dublin, I was uh, just strolling around town. I started noticing all these posters. And <laughs> then to my amazement, I realized they were Sinn Féin posters. And my first thought was, when did Tony Blair become the leader of Sinn Féin? Because they were just cookie cutter, multi-culty. You know, if you were looking at Sinn Féin posters around Dublin, you'd think everybody in Sinn Féin was uh, gay or Muslim. And the whole, so so it's very clever, but basically they're, a, they're, they're now an organized crime operation that is going to be in power eventually south and north of the border. 
and uh, every every just about every Irish Irishman under thirty uh, in the South supports uh, Sinn Fein. But Joe Biden isn't going to say a peep about that. Michael Cavino says, thank you for giving us Americans a crack course in the British parliamentary system daily on your TV show. Is there any chance you can convince Leilani Dowding to run for office? She is smart as a whip and would make a great leader for the Tories. <laughs> you know, Leilani lived in California for 17 years and along the way acquired U.S. citizenship. So I would be in favor of Leilani uh, running for governor of California. I think that I think that would be an excellent idea there, Michael. Felipe Dimer de Oliveira writes, uh, Dear Mark, it's great to be back. Uh, to the club after a long unplanned absence. Congratulations on your well-deserved success at GB News. Um, your interview with the insufferable Alex de Kerning from Just Stop Oil last week is still playing in my mind. Um, and I would like to hear your thoughts on how the current culture results in the likes of Mr. De Kerning. You've written about how rock and roll is marketed to tap the myth of youth rebellion for profiteering. In my view, this and many other modern forms of art are manipulated to create a cleavage in our culture. On one side, music, films and stories for young, cool people versus those for old, conservative people, which leads to the fanaticism we see in the left. Do you think there is a cultural vaccine against such malady? More importantly, is there a way to win the culture without using the same tactics that have a strong hold on people's imaginations? Well, I think eventually that's where the battle has to be fought. You know, when you say uh, the myth of youth rebellion, what's interesting now is that it's not the contrarian streak of youth is completely gone, completely dead. Uh, that youth, for the most part, just signs on to... They're taught the orthodox. I remember... I must have said this before over the years, but I remember when I was a te teenager, we, we, our headmaster, our whatever he's called, uh, retired, our chief master, I think they called him, and uh, some new guy came on. Now, when the old guy had been the, the headmaster, and at the end of term, when we had to get up and sing the school song, we thought, uh, what a lot of imperialist rot this school song is. We, we wear hipsters into the rock and roll and the groovy stuff, and we don't want to sing this. Then <laughs> uh, the new chief master comes along, and he's one of these trendy modish guys who wants to throw out all the old crap, including the uh, outmoded and anachronistic imperialist school song. And, uh, and so he decides uh, we're not going to sing it at the end of term. And instead, at the end of term, um, uh, we decide we're not going to be told we can't sing our imperialist school song. And we all start. That's the natural contrarian streak of youth. You don't have that now. Uh, instead, they just follow the orthodoxy on climate change, on pronouns, and on all the other stuff. And, and there's a horrible psychological deformation that is embodied by the idea of these ignorant people uh, just, uh, just defacing 
the heights of our civilization, as in these pictures by Constable and Van Gogh that they're throwing uh, tomato ketchup and whatnot over. And it is... Um, to to reverse that is going to require far more than Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell. I'll I'll just uh, I'll just put it I'll just put it at that. It's it's one of the most serious things, one of the most serious things. And I have the scale of the battle there is so huge because we thought it would be enough to. Tom Wolfe said uh, they just pay lip service to this. None of them believe a word of it. They're just mouthing along. Uh, until they graduate from these institutions. That's what he said to me, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, whatever it was. And it's not true. They do believe it. And now they're in boardrooms because it's been going unchallenged for so long. Let's have a musical interlude. Uh, Anita Kerr died a week ago, just three days short of her 95th birthday. It's been a long while since I last saw her, and I regret that. Um, she started out in Nashville on a radio station, and they discovered that she was a fabulous vocal arranger, so they let her put together a small group. And if you bought a hit country and western record in the late 50s, early 60s, if it's not the Jordanaires singing back up, it's almost certainly Anita Kerr singer. She had a very pleasant soprano voice, uh, but she preferred singing with a small vocal group. And in the 60s and 70s, they went on to record just about everything there was to record and always uh, with their unmistakable and absolutely exquisite harmonies. She won Grammys uh, back when the Grammys had some kind of quality control. Uh, she won Grammys for her uh, Henry Mancini album and for her single of Un Homme et Une Femme. Dabba 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 dabba, a man and a woman. She married a Swiss guy and moved to the Geneva area in 1970. And unlike many people who had far bigger hit singles in that era, she knew how to keep her money and how to grow it. She built the famous recording studio at Montreux and rented it to David Bowie and the Rolling Stones and eventually sold it very profitably to the fellas from Queen. And after that, I used to run into her at other recording studios from time to time, uh, and always was impressed by what she'd be doing there. One of the things I love about Serenade Radio, uh, since I joined that station, is that they play the Anita Kerr singers a lot, and their arrangements and harmonies are just so good. This song sat around a few years, and then became a hit for Blood, Sweat and Tears, after which everybody did it. But I do like this version, the Anita Kerr Sings.
Because you came into control You touched my very soul You always showed me that Loving you was where it's at You made me so singers with you've made me so very happy did you know that's a tamla motown song it was written by a comparatively minor uh, motown singer brenda holloway with her sister patrice and uh, one of the company's big producers frank wilson and tamla motown's very founder barry gordy also wound up with a writing credit But Anita Kerr and her crew made me so very happy with all their beautiful harmonies down through the years. Nobody makes those kinds of records anymore. Uh, And I regard that as one of many small civilizational losses. Speaking of which, Liz Hodgson writes, Dear Mark, you're a man of style, but rarely asked style-related questions. Hope you don't mind my doing so. I'd be curious to get your thoughts on those soup chucker, just stop oil activists, specifically media coverage of these radicals reveals a rogues gallery of breathtaking slobbery. Why do they all look newly released from a state paid alcohol detox program or worse, like those cult members who believe eternity awaited them in a spaceship tailing the hell bop comet minus the expensive trainers? Uh, When Sunflowers Vandal Phoebe Plummer posed the question, is art worth more than life i had to ask myself where does she rank a shower and a tube of clearasil Ooh, um <laughs> you know back when uh the occupy wall street guys uh pete sego who was in his 90s went down to entertain the occupy wall street guys who were uh rather malodorous types <laughs> and i uh I remember joking that Pete Seeger had sung them his uh, great protest anthem, Where Have All the Showers Gone? Uh, Because that 
is certainly the question you would ask around those. Is it shallow, continues Liz, to point out that these activists dress in clothes seemingly plundered from a crate of goodwill rejects airdropped on an African village? All I see are faded mom jeans, crudely cut off at the ankles and stained, tattered, ill-fitting T-shirts. Even the white lab coats on those Volkswagen protesters glued to the Volkswagen factory floor look ill-fitting and cheap. And the hair is their rule book requiring all styling be self-administered, including the worst for wear magenta dye jobs. Also, why so many scraggly man buns? I like second-hand and vintage as much as the next guy, but the allure of vintage was always about bygone quality of manufacturing. This is different. This is, I don't know what to call it, Chinese sweatshop overflow sheet comes to mind. It wasn't all this way, uh, always this way. I'm old enough to remember Jane Fonda's superb shag, boot-cut jeans, and flowy batik tunic when she was busy sticking up for the Khmer Rouge. Murderous thugs though they were. 60s-era Black Panthers always looked terrific in their turtlenecks and berets. What's going on here since the very fate of Gaia rests on their sagging, pimply shoulders? Should I not feel a little concerned? Best regards, Liz. It's a fair question. But I, looking at it from just Stop Oil's point of view for a moment, you know, what I... Uh, I don't think it's a just stop oil problem. I remember, I think it was maybe the last time I was in New York City. There was certainly the last time I uh, strolled around. I remember walking up, I was down there to do some stuff for Fox just before the pandemic started. And I remember strolling up Madison Avenue and looking at the people for actually strolling up Fifth Avenue, looking at people and just thinking, my God, what the hell happened? Because the first thing that anyone would notice if um, if a New Yorker from, say, 1950 were to walk up Fifth Avenue today, well, not today, but just before the COVID hit, um, never mind somebody from the 19th century, I think the first thing you would notice is that everybody, not just just stop oil, are children. They're children of the modern era where you're a child till you're 37 or whatever. Uh, but within, within that redefinition of adolescence, they are adolescents. But what's interesting to me is that the general population on the whole dress like children. It's the first thing if you took a man from uh, strolling down uh, the Strand in London in 1887 and had him strolling down the Strand today, it's the first thing he would notice. Everybody's dressed like children. They've got children, big spongy, what do you, do you call them? The expensive trainers? The trainers, the big spongy oversized shoes that were hitherto the province of children. The, the brightly colored T-shirts with uh, childish symbols and writing on them. Uh, if they've just stopped at a, uh, at a fast food emporium, they're carrying a child's cup. It's got, it's, it's almost looks uh, like uh, the, the stuff a, a baby would sip. It's got, a, again, an oversized cup with the straw. We look like children. And then we wonder why the state treats us like children. I mean, that actually is, I'm not saying that's the full explanation, 
But we have gratefully retreated uh, from even the appearance of adulthood on the on the streets of our cities. I mean, I just don't like. I don't like. I just, I'm I'm unnerved by it. I'm unnerved when I get on an aeroplane and I and I look at the way everybody is dressed compared to say the way they would have been dressed on an aeroplane in 1963. Um. But I, I tell myself that, oh, well, you know, flying is terrible and you are treated like children and the, the government goons have the right to stick their hands in, your tra in your, the crotch of your pants. And so why would you want to uh, look like a, an adult when you're just being treated actually like livestock? But then when people completely have the free choice to wander around the streets of their own city... You know, I think that's the first thing anybody from the mid-20th century or the 19th century would say if they were catapulted into our own time. What these, these people have regressed. They dress like children and then they're surprised that the government, the all-powerful state, treats them like children. Chris H. says, I wonder if you could comment on the grassroots level of fear in the U.S. prior to the midterms. I live in a purple city within a purple state where the vote typically splits 50-50 for many of the recent elections. Everybody gets along just fine. But looking at lawn signs, I'd estimate that 80 to 90 percent are for the Dems. Now, there is no way that this is representative of the electorate. It's almost like painting lamb's blood on the doorframe from Exodus. People aren't afraid of their neighbours, but they do seem to be scared of repercussions from government and even just some thuggish enforcers out there. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You've got to have, you can be in a 50-50 state, like Chris is, and yet, uh, when it comes to the public display of your political allegiance, it's 80 to 90 Democrat versus, you know, 10 or 20 for the Republicans. Because the Democrats control the public space and they enforce the public space. So you don't want to have... It's bad enough when they smash your sign-in, which actually does happen um, fairly often in New Hampshire, um, but it's it's worse if they decide to do something else. You put out a MAGA sign and they decide you, they're going to lob bricks through their window. There's only one side doing this, but they get away with it um, because of the one-sided uh, enforcement in the public space where basically uh, it's controlled by Democrats. And I would say when you say the grassroots level of fear, yes, there's fear. You know, uh, Andrew Lawton and I, Andrew's got a big best-selling book about the Canadian truckers. And one of the interesting things is that nobody was able to reduplicate that in other countries. They tried. Uh, they tried in the Netherlands. They tried in Belgium, France, uh, in uh, Australia. And in America. And in America, it didn't work because of January 6th. Because January 6th taught people that the price of political protest, if you're on the wrong side in this evil system. And again, I can't emphasize often enough, this is the most striking difference between uh, the United States and other Western nations. The evil, evil of 
the federal justice system in particular, but many state systems as well. So, for example, you can have been someone who just happened to be in town on January the 6th, and the evil, evil FBI, supported by the completely stupid Rube Wright. Oh, I'm proud. I know these straight shooting. I've known them all my life. My mother was a prison guard in a lesbian prison. You're an idiot. You're an idiot. These guys exist to shut down the space in which politics happens and to exclude you from that conversation. And you're too bloody stupid because you're still, you're still doing basically 1950s tropes that long cease to be relevant, you idiot. Oh, well, I've, I've had a big rethink of my position. There's so much FBI corruption. Now I'm, I'm, I'm starting to think it might not just be a few bad apples at the top, that maybe there might be uh, bad apples somewhat lower down too. So they're only 95% straight shoot. G-men. You're a fool and you've done nothing for conservatism. You know, uh, a handful of people get rich and they get private planes and they get to uh, fly around and, you know, everything. And they have uh, ghostwriters who write lousy, unreadable books, but they sell because everyone's hanging on to your every word. And the net result is at a time like this when it takes courage, actually, not a lot of courage, but it takes courage just to say that the FBI is corrupt and uh, and it's unreformable, and it has to be a a, uh, a Republican administration and a Republican Congress will shut it down and replace it with something that is not evil and does not interfere in domestic politics. Why is that so difficult for you third-rate Republicans and the uh, and and the happy clappy uh, eunuch cheerleaders uh, on on uh, so many of your radio and TV stations? Why is it so difficult to do? It is fair. It is fair, Chris. You're quite right. They were frightened after what happened on January 6th. That's why the American trucker thing never took off, and that's why you're seeing 90% Democrat uh, lawn signs in a swing state. That uh, just uh, tells you about the level of fear that is uh, out there. So, oh, look at this. Speaking, speaking of uh, the lack of equality before the law in this crap hole of justice. Don't wave that constitution at me. Yeah, completely different justice systems, according to whether you're Democrat or Republican. Uh, so we have a question about the Durham report. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I didn't say it right. The Durham report. The Durham report. The Durham report. Don't, don't, don't. 
Jam. Oh, jam. Well, the straight-shooting, eagle-eyed prosecutor who's been working tirelessly on the Durham report for whatever it is, seven, twelve years now, uh, returned from his beach house in Tahiti uh, for his second attempt at nailing some low-hanging fruit 99% of Americans have never heard of. And what do you know? What do you know? He flopped out for the second time. But this is Durham, so remember, that's what he wants you to think. That's only goes to show the cunning nine-dimensional chess he's playing. David writes, My question is about your thoughts on the Durham investigation. Now that he has been handed a second loss with the case against Danchenko, is he pretty much going to close up shop? I think this was kind of the goal to begin with. Maybe he was hoping to snag a couple small fish and close down, but he can't even do that. How likely that we see any more indictments from his team? Any more indictments? <laughs> right now, we couldn't see any uh, fewer indictments. Uh, you don't want to make the mistake, David, of thinking that the Durham investigation is anything real. That's basically the uh, theory behind our Durham Report updates, and I've said it on Tucker, and I've said it on Rush, and yet all over the radio and television dial, outposts of the Rube Wright still place their faith in John Durham. And David concludes, and a request maybe for all time's sake, maybe reprise the Durham song you used to sing one last time. One for the road. Forget it, Jake. It's Durham Town. Back in 1944, I remember Durham walking out the door. Mama told me he would get him for sure. He would get him. Comey, Clapper, Brandon, Struck, and I'm gonna read old Durham soon I'm gonna read old Durham soon But the waiting's really getting me doomed Well, if waiting for the Durham report is getting you doomed Just wait until the Hunter report Oh, you can scoff but this next five-year investigation is really going to pay off. Just you wait and see. And if you're a fully paid-up member of the Rube Wright, who likes nothing more than to send money now to sendmoneynow.com, remember that the great advantage is that while you're off panting over whichever designated fall guy is investigating the Democrat shenanigans of the last two elections, it frees up the Democrats to devote their energies to stealing the next two elections. But keep falling for it, because the Durham Report, the Durham Report, is always imminent.
Join us soon for another Durham Report Watch update on The Mark Stein Show. Indeed. Uh, You know, it's a good basic rule that when you're investigating something from five years ago, you're losing. And I'm worried a bit that the Durham model is actually now being applied to this COVID stan we all live in, where we're still talking about uh, the origins of the original COVID-19 in 2019 in China. Uh, We're still talking about the effects of the original COVID vaccines uh, that were introduced in late 2020. And meanwhile, as we've seen from that thing in Boston, the same guys, EcoHealth Alliance under its British uh, head, Peter Daszak, Uh, is now doing gain of function, which is a polite word for bioweapon, bioweapon stuff, uh, not in Wuhan this time, but in Boston, and with a new uh, medley of the original strain plus the Omicron that has an 80% kill rate. So in other words, I'm worried that we're having the Durhamization of COVID, that we're all still investigating the original thing And they've moved on to the killer one. But there's a good general rule here. It's a good general rule that when you're investigating the past, like these twerp, 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 uh, awful, 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 obsessive, you know, vote for me on November and I'm going to investigate the investigation into the investigation of the investigation into the investigation of the Russia investigation. That's Lindsey Graham. Yeah, I'm going to be starting my... Uh, I tell you, no sooner do I get re-elected on the first day back, I'm going to be starting my new investigation into what went wrong with the investigation of what went wrong into the investigation of the first wrong investigation. And when you're doing that, other people are building the future. Caroline has a postscript on this Durham investigation stuff. She says, hi, Mark, I see that John Durham has lost again. On the other hand, Steve Bannon has been sentenced to four months in jail and a $6,500 fine because he did not want to participate in the poorly produced January 6th hearings. How many examples are we going to see of this awful justice system before citizens take justice into their own hands? Well, you are inviting revolutionary conditions when you don't have equality before the law. Now, Steve Bannon's going to... Steve Bannon is going to... You look at the people who are in legal peril on the Trump side of things. They're people who were his senior counsel, uh, senior positions in the administration. We had Peter Navarro on the show, and Peter asked me beforehand, uh, could I be sure to mention his book because he's going to use his book royalties to fund his legal defense? And um, 
I sort of laugh because I know a bit about that. And basically, unless you're J.K. Rowling, there are no book royalties that can fund a legal defense. That's simply not possible. And uh, I think Peter's got the message or whoever Peter's lawyer is has got the message because he's gone a little silent and you don't see him on TV anymore. In other words, people who held senior positions in the Trump administration are ruined. And in some cases like that of Steve Bannon, they're going to jail. But that doesn't happen to Democrats. Is that because Democrats are so much more virtuous? Is that is that really what it is? You look at the in the I'm going to leave. I'm I'm going to read old Durham soon. Uh, he, he would get him Comey, Clapper, Brennan, Struck, and Steele. They were all they're all on CNN. They've all got fabulous book deals. They live in no fear of what's happening to Steve Bannon happening to them. This this federal justice system. And I sit here in these diseased United States as someone who could easily fall afoul of it myself. So I'm not pissing on U.S. dirty, stinking, rotten, corrupt U.S. justice system from afar. I happen to be pissing from it on it from nearby. It's a disgrace. And I don't want you constitution fetishists waving that constitution at me because there is nothing quite so corrupt in the developed world as this federal justice system. You don't have to worry about this level of partisan political corruption in uh, the Finnish court system or the Slovene court system. This is this this scale of corruption is American. So stop singing your stupid songs. Stop saying how great the FBI are. Say something worthwhile on the there's only I listen to the Howie Carr radio show because I have a laugh with Howie and Howie is under no illusions about the FBI. And unlike buffoon McCarse pants or whoever it is that he's up against on the other stations. This is pathetic. There's nothing conservative. There's nothing conservative about defending a partisan corrupt justice system in which senior figures on the Republican side go to jail and senior Democrats on the Hillary Biden side are laughing their ass off at you for falling in with it. I know these men, these fine up straight shooting G-men. Awful, awful, awful. Uh, Michelle Dulac says, Hi, Mark. I bought Naomi Wolf's The Body of Others after listening, The Bodies of Others, after listening to your interview with her. That's one of our Stein Show specials, by the way, that we run uh, on Sundays at Stein Online as a special treat for Mark Stein Club members. And we certainly urge you to listen to them because they've all been a splendid one so far, I think, since we launched it with Helen Rappaport, uh, a great historian. Uh, and then we had Mark Morano on the uh, Great Reset, and we'll have a new one for you this Sunday. Um, I read it in a couple of days, says Michelle Dulac, of the bodies of others. She's definitely not the woman I remember last as the lady who recommended Earth Tones to Al Gore. Yeah, I must have gotten five or six columns out of Earth Tone gags for Al Gore. Uh, it'd be... <laughs> Because it was supposed to help him project a more manly image. And before that, the author of The Beauty Myth. But she has much to say and all of it damned interesting. What do you think of her nervousness about QR codes? Are they really all technically useful as geolocators like GPS? Well, here's the thing. And I, I, 
I, I'm, I'm amazed somehow at the things uh, the people don't understand the significance of. I talked when I was in Ukraine. I wound up walking into Ukraine uh, and, and, um, uh, and, and then uh, actually uh, pr- procuring the services of a delightful and charming lady who was uh, happy to come out and, uh, and, and drive us around. But I wound up having to walk into the country because my rental car died on the Hungarian-Ukrainian border. I'd rented it in Budapest and had planned to take it to, to Ukraine without telling them. They can now stop the car. They know where the car is. This is the thing. A car is basically, just as a telephone is an ankle bracelet, um, so basically everyone is on probation now. They know where everyone is at the time. If you're walking around with these telephones, you're basically telling the state where you are every second of the day. But people don't mind that because, you know, they can they can go on there and, you know, see download Megan's podcast when they're in the middle of nowhere. So they don't care that it means the state knows where you are every minute of the day. And um, and I feel that way about all this stuff. You know, I don't want to use a QR code to order in a restaurant because I I I don't want the which which happened uh, which again the COVID has advanced. Oh, it's not safe for us to have room service anymore. Uh, we can't have that where you 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 uh, there's a there's a card in the room and you pick up the telephone and you. Uh, call room service and they bring it up to your room. Now it's so much easier now. You just go to our website and you uh, you download the app and then you can come down and we'll leave it for you outside the kitchen. That's what I had in Tennessee. Really hated it, actually. Really hated it. Just crap, miserable, antisocial, degrading. The whole thing's miserable. Whole thing, all these things... So I don't like I don't do any. I don't want to go and buy a coffee with the QR code. I mean it's all very convenient. All this stuff means is they know where you are, they know everything you do. And if you think they're using that, they, they, there's nothing there's no need to be conspiratorial because they tell you every minute of the day you're not eating the right stuff. You keep eating those cheeseburgers, but the the bovine flatulence is destroying the planet. So they're building a dossier on you. They're building a record on you because they don't want you eating that stuff. They don't want you driving anywhere. They don't want you having freedom of movement. Um, You know, at one point, I don't know whether the Canadian government is still doing it, but you had to get into Canada from outside Canada. You had to download an app on to your phone. So I'm I'm carrying on like... uh, you know, uh, criminals like terrorists and international drug cartels. I'm just using burner phone. <laughs> I've got this, uh, the Canadian uh, government wanted me to download an app so they know where I am every minute of the day. <laughs> I'm going to leave it in a parking garage in Laval. And that way they won't know that I'm actually driving to Toronto. You know, they're serious about this. And she's quite right about that. And the thing about it is once you see it, once you start thinking about it, it's very hard to unthink it. Toby Pilling says, 
Lord Frost recently advocated a gradualist approach to policy change. You'll know Lord Frost. He's been on the show. How about this then? Before you can withdraw from international agreements on accepting asylum seekers, the UK has to abrogate the European Human Rights Act. Before you can repeal the ECHR, you need to withdraw state funding for the BBC. Before the licence fee is abolished, one would have to privatise Channel 4. Yes, that's, that, that does stand for a plan. Um, but the problem is, the problem is, uh, the plan for most of these people is to do nothing. We'll have one last question on that. Jenny says, Mark, Rishi Sunak has pulled ahead of Boris. Yeah, he did. Boris, 91 to 60. I'm surprised Boris is up to 67. During last night's Thursday night's Mark Stein show, Boris climbed to 40. And so I thought uh, this morning he'd be way ahead of that. But in fact, Rishi had pulled ahead and Boris had only managed to get to 45. Do you think Boris will get to 100 in order to actually have a vote? I don't know. The stitch-up didn't work last time, so they want the stitch-up to work this time. The idea is to have Rishi Sunak. This is how all elections are going to be everywhere, eventually. The idea, they'll decide the candidate they want. You see this in uh, under certain forms of communism and other kinds of totalitarian parties. So not, not to make it look so obvious a stitch-up, they have the party and then they have the FACO party that's there to lose, the equivalent of the, uh, whatever they are, the Washington, uh, not the Washington Nationals, whatever they were. Anyway, uh, the, I, the, par- the, the candidate is supposed to be Rishi Sunak. And then they want a, a and other candidate whose job will be to lose to Rishi Sunak. And what they want is that uh, ideally they would like Rishi Sunak to run away with it so far in the MPs votes that the second candidate withdraws. So there's only one candidate they can put to the membership at large. It's a stitch up. They got the stitch up wrong last time. They're not planning on making a mistake this time. That's just the way those guys are. I'm in a cranky mood today. It's not good news on any front. As I said, these are not normal times and bad things, really bad things are going to happen. We, we have just seen the hollowing out of responsible government in the two leading uh, English-speaking nations in different ways, ways suited to the, the peculiarities of each nation's system. But the, uh, this pantomime we see in America, where we're supposed to pretend that this dead husk who can't get off a stage is the leader of the free world, and this dimwit who thinks Ukraine is already in NATO and keeps saying it when she's meeting prime ministers all over the planet, uh, is, is next in line to succeed. Then on the other hand, we have a prime minister who does something that the IMF is not happy with and the IMF vaporizes her. Shortest, she's, she's the pub quiz answer now for the rest of her life. Who was the shortest serving prime minister in British history? And dear old George Canning is uh, off the hook and uh, is now looking like having a far more respectable tenure. A little bit more music from the late Anita Kerr 
uh, and uh, her singers and their terrific harmonies. Such a beautiful sound before we say bye-bye. Oh, wait, no, no, no. Uh, better plan. She's going to say bye-bye. This is Henry Mancini's famous theme tune for Peter Gunn, but slowed down and vocalized. dead three days before her 95th birthday in Carouge, which is about 10 minutes straight south of the southern tip of Lake Geneva, a place I knew well in the pre-COVID era. That's Henry Mancini's famous Peter Gunn theme with words by Jay Livingston and Ray Evans, the fellows who wrote Buttons and Bows, K. Sarah Sarah, the theme for Mr. Ed, the talking horse, couldn't count on all my fingers all the dates you've had with swingers. I don't think fingers rhymes with swingers. It's fingers and swingers or swingers and fingers. Uh, but I appreciate the sentiment and certainly the Anita Kerr singers, which doesn't rhyme with fingers either. Certainly the Anita Kerr singers did their best to put it over. Doo-doo-doo. 
We will have all our regular features this weekend. The 100 Years Ago Show. Rick's Flicks, Stein Song of the Week. And a Sunday Stein Show. Stay safe, stay free, bye-bye, baby. Stein's Clubland Q&A is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved.